Imagine for a moment that you're watching a movie. Now, this is the most peculiar movie that you have ever come across. For one thing, none of the characters have any backstories. For another, each scene exists totally independent of the last one. There's no sense of place or time. And worst of all, there's no greater story. Each moment, each image, each piece of dialogue makes no sense and does not drive the story in any way. Rather, we are left with a series of confused scenes and moments devoid of any structure. There's no future, no past, only the present scene, which will come and go in an instant. And when it's over, the scene will be forgotten in order to make way for the one to come. Now, this might seem like an absurd thought experiment to you. No one's ever wanted to or has watched a movie just like this. But what if I told you that this is the way the Western world has been for the past several centuries? Your mind has been disintegrating. Your memory has been slowly eroding away since the time of the Enlightenment. This philosophical movement was headed by the illustrious René Descartes in the 17th century and still holds sway over the hearts and minds of the Western world today. Now, you may be wondering about the connection between the thought experiment I laid before you and this conversation of the very dead French philosopher Descartes. In a word, modernity. Over the following pages, I'm going to explain the connection of the cinema, modernity, and memory, mainly how the problems of modernity set forth are solved by film and its relation to memory. Let's first briefly examine modernity a bit deeper. In the film Big Fish, Edward Bloom tells incredible stories. This hurts his son, William, who finds the stories nothing but silly tales. This leads to the estrangement of Will from his father, culminating in an enormous fight between father and son on William's wedding day. His father saying, I've told you a thousand facts, Will. That's what I do. I tell stories. To which William replies, you tell lies, Dad. From this, it is clear William has disdain for the past. He believes that the stories his father tells are mere jokes and do nothing but actively harm those around him. He is skeptical of the narratives he has told, treating them as nothing he can't empirically demonstrate and thus have no value within anyone's lives. This is a near-perfect illustration of modernity and its problem. It holds the past in disdain. As Descartes himself writes in the Meditations on First Philosophy, quote, I realized that it was necessary once in the course of my life to demolish everything completely and start again from the right foundations if I wanted to establish anything at all, end quote. What Descartes shows us with haunting clarity is just how much modernity hates the past. For modernists, what the past represented was exactly what William Bloom hates so much about his father's stories. Namely, the past is not demonstrable. Additionally, what modernity champions above all else is the importance of one's self in the world. For Descartes, this begins by isolating himself in what is perhaps one of the most famous quotes in all of philosophy, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore, I am. It is all centered around the I. The past means nothing to him personally. It could be and is, according to him, filled with lies. And the only answer is to reject the narratives of the past and define his own future. Clearly, this becomes a problem when looking at the world to come. Let's assume Descartes' philosophy is correct. And in order to be certain, one must demolish the edifices of the past. This includes one very important piece of humans, their memory. The only way for any human to access the past is through their memories, and thus, Descartes, in tearing down memory and all that comes with it, tears down tradition. Tradition, of course, being any set of beliefs or liturgies that have been handed down from generation to generation, like, for instance, Christianity. And while Descartes' meditations end by confirming the Catholic faith, the result of modernism is the ability to draw conclusions contrary to Descartes due to the same condemnation of the past, her traditions, and her narratives. However, this damnation of memory is indicative of a larger problem. The problem derived thus is the fact that mankind and his soul are abruptly pulled from any larger narrative. 
Jean-Francois Lyotard, a postmodern philosopher, describes modernity as, quote, an incredulity towards metanarrative, end quote. That same incredulity separates one from the story he or she is a part of. If the past cannot be trusted, then we should ignore it. All of this in conjunction firmly placed the self into the present and the present alone, giving rise to what N.T. Wright terms the modernist trinity, namely, I am certain, I do not need the past, and I am captain of my own fate. From this, where could a modernist go? From this, where could a modernist have come from? The trinity eliminates the past and the future. If a story is constructed of beginning, middle, and end, then modernity has discovered a way to render that structure obsolete. Modernity promises progress at the cost of memory, but even if one somehow manages to attain that progress, he still has yet more to progress towards. If you discover, discover a new planet, there's still an uncountable amount of other planets to discover. Say you find out what makes up an atom. Well, what makes up those things? Thus, the modern never truly moves forward. And in one fell swoop, the past and the future have been reduced to useless and unattainable respectively, indicating modernity's ripping us from the place that we have been in the story. Now let's observe what happens when we draw the modernist ideal to its logical end by considering the satirical show, The Simpsons. This cartoon was a so social staple for decades, offering a critique of the shallow family represented in the sitcoms of the 60s and the 70s. The show was cutting, clever, and funny. The characters were depicted at ridiculous proportions, the satire going down with ease. The popularity of The Simpsons cannot be overstated, as it is in its 32nd season, God rest its soul. <laughs> but during the course of its three-decade run, something strange began to happen to it and its characters. Memory in The Simpsons became odd. In an episode released in 2010, Homer remembers being a college-aged college -aged student in the 90s and, in a and being in a grunge band. But according to the canon of the show, Homer had already been a middle-aged man in the 80s. To state it more plainly, how could Homer Simpson be both a 20-something in the 90s and a middle-aged man in the 80s? At the center of the show, there's a logical and, and temporal inconsistency, one that only begins to make sense if you realize the memories of the characters are non-existent. How could it possibly be that Bart has been in fourth grade for over three decades? How could it be that a 32-year-old Maggie is still an infant? These characters never learn, never grow, and never remember. By now, the characters have been rendered empty, mere representations of themselves. Why does Homer eat and drink so much? Because that's what Homer does. Why does Bart act so mischievous? Because that's what Bart is like. Why doesn't Marge ever leave Homer for a better husband? Because that's what Marge's life is. It has always been this way and will always be this way. The Simpsons is a phenomenal example of the issues brought about by modernity. By the destruction of memory, modern man finds himself lost with no hope of growing or learning. They will be the same person for decades and decades to come as they grow and regress, progressing towards an endless series of progressions. We have lost our place in the narrative, which according to the modernist does not exist. By this time, man has been rendered empty as a mere representation of himself. He does the things he thinks he should do. He thinks the way he thinks he should. He believes the things he believes he should. Man has become an empty signifier, and the institutions he creates can only follow his lead. Our memories define us. You are who you are because of your memories. If we have been separated from our memories, and by definition, the past, then we are little more than the characters in the film from my thought experiment or The Simpsons. A confusing jumble of images with nothing behind them and nothing before them. We are reduced to an entity, one that exists but undefined. Or as Percy Walker writes in Lost in the Cosmos, quote, In the end, the self becomes a space-bound ghost which roams the very cosmos it understands perfectly, end quote. 
the past is lost, and with it, the sense of self. Now, there is indeed a solution, and if you've been paying attention, you'll probably know what I'm going to argue for next, remembering stuff. More importantly, we need a means by which we can remember. Values, thoughts, ideas, philosophies, the collective memories of countless individuals over centuries of time. We need something that can place us within a narrative that can give us a means of identity and a means of memory. I posit that film is that means by which we can remember. First, the mere act of watching a film forces you to take part in a narrative. No one would want to watch the thought experiment film. The human heart cannot take the feverish blur of an incomplete story. By watching film, the world is forced into a certain type of rhythm, beginning, middle, and end. You can pick up on a type of rhythm. You know when things are getting more tense, when the climax of the film is coming. We're going to see how the story arc rises and peaks before watching the resolution and conclusion of the film. And Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho does a spectacular job of holding an audience entranced. We watch as the woman steals money for her and her fiancé. We watch as she escapes police detection, if only just. We watch Norman Bates and his unsettlingly charming demeanor. All the while, we're filled with questions. Who is the mother? Why is Norman murdering the girl? And will the detective die as well? This film would be significantly less successful if we did not have the narrative structure to tell us the story. Imagine instead if we had only the individual scenes, a woman driving in the rain, a disturbed man raising a knife, a skeletal body, then the end credits. Would you enjoy watching that? Rather, Hitchcock, Hitchcock utilize, utilizes the structure, so slowly revealing the past which informs the present and the character's actions. As a result of partaking in the narrative, we are forced to take our memories more seriously. Our minds are trained to think in terms of symbolic images. These images connect us with the past via the present moment. For example, in Wes Anderson's film, The Life Aquatic, several of the characters wear red beanies, which signifies the trauma and pain of the character's past. For Bill Murray's character, this includes a failing marriage, financial ruin, and the death of a close friend. Notice how the image of the red beanie illustrates the character's current position, the present, while also explaining to us the character, why the character is where he is in the story, the past. The symbolic image inherently involves the past, rounding out the characters as well as making the narrative more cohesive by forging a link between past and present. We, too, are characters. There should be, however, one major difference between those characters one watches on screen and us as film enjoyers. We, of course, live in the real world, a world that is more real than anything on the screen ever could be. But when the credits roll and the characters cease to exist, the watcher leaves the darkened theater or the living room and walks out into the bright world outside. And though the world outside is bright, it has been rendered flat. By the political spectrum, which reduces our world into red or blue. By social media, which reduces the human experience to a series of highly stylized photos or videos. By the news, which reduces the world into the worst events in human history. By mass consumerism, which reduces the world we live in into one big business meeting. By easier and easier access to pornography, which reduces our love to mere erotic attraction. God has been slain by the modernists' own prideful hands, and the world has been rendered by the modernist project as little more than the myth of the flat earth it claims to disprove. The world has been rendered devoid of shape, God, or direction by the modernist attack on memory. But we as characters in a greater story know this cannot be true. This cannot be the end. Film serves as a reminder and as a specific form of memory that the characters only matter to us through their memories. We too are characters. And similarly, we are defined by our memories. The story only makes sense if we have the context of the past with a desire for completion. 
Is this not the case for Christ's story? Christians longing for the eschaton, the completion of all things, which is made sweeter by the redemption of one's sinful past. In the film Big Fish, as the narrative nears a conclusion and as Edward Bloom is on his deathbed, he asks his son to tell him a story. So William Bloom, who has spent his entire life trying to gather the truth, tells an unbelievable story, the story of Ed's life. Surrounded by the people who constitute the wild, fantastical tales his father told, son and father step into the water of a river, together perhaps for the first time. The father who tells unbelievable stories, stories rife with miraculous events, and the son who spent so much time running away. In the end, Edward Bloom dies. He sinks into the baptismal waters and, quote, becomes what he always was, a very big fish. Films offer us transformation in a way to remember. Will the modern, the skeptic, the condemner of narrative experience the same transformation, saying, quote, a man tells his stories so many times that he becomes the stories. They live on after him, and in that way, he becomes immortal. Does this not remind you of the Christian life? Redeemed through story, baptized, dying, transformed to what we always were meant to be and made immortal. What film offers us on both an individual and a cultural level is a place within that narrative, with our memories strengthened, our identities restored, and a reminder that we are not alone, and perhaps we never have been. Thank you.